Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome to the show this morning to chill our spines for our Spooktober Part 2 presentation. Visitors from another planet. In this first episode from the Lights Out Old Time Radio Show, we find a couple who has taken a vacation in a cabin in the woods when they are outside looking at a meteor shower. But unfortunately for them, one meteor comes hurtling towards them from the sky above. And the couple run away trying to avoid getting hit by the meteor. The meteor crashes just a few feet in front of them. So the doctor who is a well-known astrophysicist goes to the meteor and opens it up, but he opens it up to an unknown visitor, a person who is not a person, but starts out as a gray blob and then the gray blob starts growing and growing more and more and he ends up becoming a person who can talk he tells the couple that he is the first one out of many who have come to collect new cattle but towards the end, the doctor grabs some nitroglycerin and obliterates the creature. And it is called the Meteor Man. And in this next episode from the old time radio show Murder at Midnight, we find another doctor of science who is conducting a experiment to and ends up killing a co-worker while in a trance once they have made contact with the moon but later on in the episode the well-known professor and his assistant are in the laboratory when the professor starts talking with a different voice. He is talking like an alien from another planet and it is called Terror at a Space. And in this final episode from the Suspense Old Time Radio Show, we find a group of children who have found a new game it is called Invasion, and the parents hear about it, but they think that it's just a 
innocent child's game. But unfortunately for the parents, it's not just an innocent child's game. Real life Martians have come to the earth to destroy the planet. And so one little girl named Mink and her mother are talking about the invasion game when Mink's mother starts to realize that it's not just an innocent child's game, that it's really happening. And it is called Zero Hour. I hope you guys enjoy these three episodes guaranteed to chill your spine. Thank you to everyone who has listened and subscribed to my podcast. I really do appreciate it. And once again, guys, always remember to enjoy the show. Thanks. Ionized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. It is later than you think. Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you, calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. My name, Arch Obler. Tonight, a story I enjoyed writing for you because, well, frightening as the thought may be, it could happen. And furthermore, I might speak frankly, my dear Diane... The basic thing wrong with woman is her nose. Let's cut it off. Russell Adams. Then there's the matter of her ears. Look at them. Well? They're, they're, they're too obvious. Cut them off, too. No nose, no ears. Oh, a fine art critic you turned out to be. Oh, is this thing odd? Ruth Adams, I hate you. I think it's the best piece of sculpture I've ever done. Egomaniac. Oh, will you go away? <laughs> Not until I tell my wife how much I adore her. <laughs> about stopping the artistic endeavors for the night and romancing with the old man? Any night. Come on. Out of the veranda. There's a moon. Spoken as Professor Russell J. Adams, instructor of astronomy at our beloved university. I don't know a single scientific fact about this moon. It's a special satellite built entirely for romance. (laughs) Then it's a date. After you, fair Diane? (laughs) Why do you laugh? Just thinking, it's a good thing we haven't any neighbors, or they'd think we were honeymooning. Ten years and two more weeks. Sweet. Why? For remembering. (laughs) (sighs) Where the sign? It's such a lovely night. Yes. You're very lovely with the moonlight in your hair. Darling. 335 days out of the year, moonlight to me is uh, is just a reflected light of the sun. A light interesting only that it may be analyzed spectroscopically. <laughs> but these 30 days of our vacation, Diane, oh, what a magical change. 
It's a soft lover's moon hanging in the heavens only to brighten your loveliness. Oh, and people wonder why I can't get excited about Ronald Coleman. Coleman? Who's he? Spoken like a true professor. He's a motion picture star. An absolute paragon of romance. (laughs) Well, perhaps I should neglect my movie going. Oh, so much I mean. With such paragons to teach one. Mm, You do all right. Oh, Russell. What's the matter? I saw the brightest shooting star. Is that all? The way you gasp, I thought you saw the angel of death himself galloping over those meadows. There's another one. Look, Russell. My dear, for 11 months out of the year, the heavens have my full and undivided attention. Oh, but during this blessed month, (laughs) let the heavens fall. I can't be bothered. I never saw such bright shooting stars. Yes, and another thing, my dear. As the wife of an accredited professor of astronomy, I think it no more than fitting that you give the phenomena that you observed its proper name. Namely, the fall of a meteor. There's another one. And another. Oh, Russ, how bright and beautiful. They travel at such a tremendous rate, the friction of our atmosphere burns them into a fiery vapor. There's more of them. Look, one after the other. I've never seen so many shooting stars. Uh Uh-uh. I mean so many meteors in all my life. Oh, so that's why you wanted me out here. <laughs> you knew about this uh, meteor shower, didn't you? It's one of heaven's free spectacles in this constellation. Every three years, and this happens to be the third year. How frightening. Quite frightening. Those great masses of stone and iron coming from who knows where in interstellar space, traveling millions and millions of miles and then going up in such glorious flame just as they reach the end of their journey. Not all goes to flame. Hundreds of them strike the earth each year. Oh, Russell, there's no danger. Oh, no. The probabilities of being struck on the head by that cosmic rubbish is about uh, a thousand times more remote than winning a sweepstake without buying a ticket. Oh, look. That one. The brightest of all. Wait, Diane. What's that? I don't know. Something from look the up. sky. It's shooting star. Look out, Diane. Right. All right, dear. Everything's all right. What? How? A meteor. You must have landed out in the field there. Here, let me help you. You all right, dearest? Yes, I, I'm all right. Russ, where are you going? Out there. Where it must have buried itself. Wait here. I'll be right back. No, no, I'm going with you. All right, if you want to. Oh, Diane, what an experience we've had. The one chance in a million I spoke about almost occurred to us. But, but Russ, was it really a shooting star? That explosion like a bombshell? A bombshell of the universe. What will we find out there? A fragment of the meteorite. But it'll burn. No, no. All of its heat will have been dissipated. Then again, it may have exploded into a thousand minute pieces. I pray to heaven that it hasn't. I'm afraid. No, no. The danger's all over. Ah, here. The moon's so bright. If any of the mass landed, I should be able to find the torn ground where it smashed through the turf. Oh, please, darling. Let's wait until morning. No, no. I must find the thing at once. The moon gives plenty of light. From the brightness of the flash, I'm positive that the meteor landed someplace right in here. I'll tell you... Look! What? The turf, all torn up. This is the place. Russell, are you mad? Get up off the ground. Right here. It must have struck a glancing blow off the brow of the ridge. I've got it. What? A fragment of it. Still warm. See? No larger than a baseball. All that was left of it. That's a... That's a meteor. A meteor, right. All that's left of the meteor that burned and exploded. What a find. Drop it, Russ. What are you talking Throw about? Throw it away. Come back to the house, please. What... What are you going to do with it? Diane, what's the matter with you? Your face. 
I, I don't know. I... Somehow I'm afraid for all of us. Afraid? Good heavens, my dear. There's nothing dangerous about this. A mass metal that's 90% iron. Why, it's as harmless as any inert piece of metal. Come to the study. I'll show you where the rush of air against the incandescent... Uh, Russ, wait. Huh? Someone's crying. Yes. I'll go and see. It's Helga. Helga, you poor thing. We forgot all about you. Oh, Mrs. Adams, it was exploding. Now, now, everything's all right, Helga. What's going on, Diane? Oh, poor Helga. The explosion frightened her out of her wits. Oh, Mr. Professor Adams, we die. We all die. Don't be a the fool. The fire has come from the sky. It killed us. It killed you and me and everybody. We die. Everybody dies. Stop it. Stop dies. it. For heaven's sake, stop Fire that. Take care of it, Diane. Give her a chance. All right, Russell. All right now, Helga. I'm going to get at this meteorite, so please quiet the dumb fool down as quickly as you can. Superstitious idiot. Simple phenomena, and she thinks the world's ending. Simple little meteorite. Iron, a bit of nickel content. Nothing particularly unusual. Oh, Diane, quiet it down, will you? Yes. She'll be all right. Mm, you look a little rocky yourself. Yeah, sit here. She's very frightened. Yeah, and even you, Diane. Well? Well, you've acted so strangely, as if this inert piece of cosmic metal could cause some supernatural ability. Huh. What are you going to do with it? Nothing. Examine it. Here. I'll take some of this nitric acid. Huh. Where's that bottle? Huh. Yeah. Now watch closely, and I'll show you that the stone consists of ordinary elements. Iron. Russell. What? This, this mark on it. How strange. Hmm. Yeah. Funny I hadn't noticed it before. Circles the entire stone. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that a blow right here would break it in half. Yes, I think I'll try to do that. No, no, Russ. Leave it alone. Good heavens, Diane. Nothing but a stone. All I'm going to do is try and break it along this fissure. Okay, I had a hammer on this stone. Ah, here. I wonder if the stone break. Almost solid metal. I'll try. George, it did. Clean in half. Oh. What? Look. What's inside? Flesh. Oh, Russell. Negative grape protoplasmic. Oh. No, it can't be. It can't. This is a meteor. It came from out there. There is no flesh. Nothing could live. Russ, look. Huh? It's growing. Growing? Ladies and gentlemen, a shooting star flashes out of the sky and falls to Earth. And in it, something living from out of interstellar space. Yes. If this is the time to take a breath before going on with tonight's Lights Out play, the story of Professor Adams and his wife and the thing from out beyond our world, a meteorite had fallen, and Professor Adams had broken it open, and there was a gray nugget of flesh inside, which, even as the professor and his wife stood watching, began to grow. And faster. Gray flesh. Growing. Russ, I'm afraid. No, Diane. No. Wait. Control yourself. This is something we've got to see, both of us, calmly, so we can tell others clearly what we saw. I'll try. Russ, keep your arm around me. 
Larger and larger. Listen, the noise as it grows. I hear it. When will it stop? When? Look. Look. Uh, I can't. That horrible gray flesh. But you must see it. Look. It's forming into something. What? A head. It's forming into a head. Oh! How can it be, Diane? Flesh in a meteor growing. Growing into a head. I see it. A head. Horrible head. Diane, you heard. Yes. A head without body speaking. Yes, speaking. Russell. You... You hear and... And understand me? <laughs> laughing. I laugh at the fear and wonder in your simple little faces. Who, who, who are you? Who, what are you? If I told you, would your little earthlines understand? Uh, tell us, whatever you are. Tell us what you are. What you on earth will soon have for masters. No, 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 wait, Diane. I must know. You thing... Uh, what can I call you? Tell me what you mean, you masters. Surely you simple little men do not think that in you creation has reached the ultimate. No. Gray flesh talking. I'm getting out. You will stay. Russ, I I can't move. Nor nor I. You cannot move. Who are you? Tell us, who are you? You saw how I came. A tiny bit of protoplasm in that meteorite? So I willed myself to be. To reach your earth. You you came here in that? Through through space? Through space beyond your furthest conception, Earth thing. Many of my people have tried. I am the first to succeed. Then then meteors are are the means we have used to try and reach this haven of plenty. I am the first. Now there will be others. You, you're from another planet? And old world. Old beyond your understanding. A world grown cold in its age. Empty with passing years. We must escape to a young, fertile world. This world. But uh, but you're only heads. Heads without bodies. Oh, Russ. Russ, I'm so afraid. No, 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 please. I must hear him speak. This that is happening to us is a miracle of all times. Tell me, you there, are you only heads in that world you speak of? Heads. Heads. You see... What I will you to see. But what are you? A mind and a will beyond your feeble understanding. As far above you as you are above the apes that still must.
must crawl in your jungle. Uh, but, but how can it be that you speak as I speak and understand what I say? Your prattling wearies me. But I tell you this. All that you say, I know. The most profound thought any of you earth things have ever thought is to me as the babbling of children. But now I am hungry. You understand that little thing. Hungry? Hungry? Hungry with a hunger that has driven me over space without ending. Hunger that has brought me here. But, but what do you eat? You will know. What do you, what do you mean? What food could there be here to fill the hunger of such as I? Hunger that would make me entomb myself in metal, flung into space in a hope that chance would bring me through the fire of that air of yours. What food thing? I don't know. So, tell me. Come closer, thing. Oh, no. And why, oh, no, thing? You don't... Human? Human. <laughs> you think you crawling worms are human to us. But, but if you're man... But we are not man. You are the cattle, and we are the keepers. No. You raise the cattle for life, and we for centuries have raised such as you on our world for life. But now, as I told you... Our world has grown too old and too cold. The herds of you die and we grow hungry. That is why I am here. We need new cattle. Here there are so many of you. Earth woman. Russell. It spoke to me. We've got to get out of here. Earth woman. No, no. Stop it. Don't look at me. Stop it. Come closer. Don't listen to him, Diane. Closer. No, no. Don't move, Diane. Stay where you are. Stay right there. You hear only me, Earth woman. Only you. No, Diane. No. Don't say that. Don't look at that monster, Diane. Closer, Diane. Yes. No, Closer. No, Diane. Stand still. Don't move toward it. Don't. Closer, No, Diane. no. Then. Closer. Monster. Not Diane. Diane, I beg of you. Don't go closer to it. Closer. No. Closer. Closer. Hush. 
kill you. No. If I could only get to you. Soon you will move to me as she no. is. No. Diane. If I could move. No, Diane. I've got to find the way. No, the strength to stop him. Diane, you're almost... That bottle, magic acid, the bottle, yes, yes, close to you, monster. Take this. Flesh. Flesh. That's all. Diane, wake up. Open your eyes. I've killed the thing. I killed it. Oh, Diane, it's all right. I've killed it. Oh. Diane, look. Outside, it's still dark. Yes, the sky's still streaked with the Russian meteorites. And that thing said more of the monsters of his breed are trying to reach this earth to feel that devil's hunger in them. Another meteorite is just there. And in it, perhaps... Oh, Diane. Diane. Is that truly to be in for mankind? Hmm. I, um, uh, Mr. Obler, will the end of the world come that way? Well, Frank, if you mean will the end for mankind come out of interstellar space in the form of a flying meteor, well, there are some mighty interesting theories along that line. The amazing thing about it, Frank, is that there are so many logical and thoroughly possible ways in which the entire tribe of mankind could be wiped off the Earth at any moment. I, I'm not talking about famine or what's close to all of us, war. I mean other ways. A star moves into our darkness from somewhere out there in the blackness of interstellar space, and the pull of its presence might turn our spinning globe headlong into the sun. In a split second, all of mankind, all his buildings, wonderful possessions, his precious little pile, would go up in a flash of fire. Or out of the sun itself, the very source of our life, as we all know, could shoot a long stream of explosive flame that would curl around us and again, well, so quickly that no man would know what had happened. In split seconds, this earth would be a charred, uninhabited spheroid. Yes, when one stops to think what a tiny little grain of sand this haughty world of ours actually is in the dark sea of space, and when we realize how precarious little mankind's hold is on this earth, the spectacle of man's inhumanity to man becomes a cosmic joke. Well, all of those things are certainly interesting to think about, Mr. Ober, but tell us now what's going to happen next week. Next week, Ball's Trees. No, that's not a dance. It's a story of chance. That unpredictable chance that makes one man a saint and the next man a Hitler. The flip of a coin, the turn of a card, the bend of a road. I think you'll like what we have to offer you, but as usual, next week. Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at this same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's weird story of Valse Triest.
it is later than you think. This is the Columbia Broadcasting turned and started to walk across the room, and as he turned, Martel moved. His face stayed dead, expressionless, but he moved. He picked up a heavy wrench, followed him, and then as Roy reached for the switch, he hit him. No! I heard his skull go like a rotten pumpkin shell, and he went down. Then Martel picked up a hacksaw and... No, no, I don't want to remember the rest. It was too awful, too horrible. <laughs> Midnight, the witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in Terror Out of Space. <laughs> Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story, which we prophesy will be long remembered as a classic, is by Robert Newman. A tale out of the news and out of man's deepest fears called Terror Out of Space. sat up in bed, straining my ears, listening. The surf was rolling and pounding on the beach at the foot of the cliff. One of the dynamos was purring away next door in the experimentation shack. And that was all. Had I really heard anything? Or had I just imagined it, dreamed it? I didn't know. All I knew was that I was in a cold sweat, shivering even though it was a hot summer's night. But that wasn't surprising after what had happened. Just what had happened? Maybe I could get it all straight, fill in the gaps that had been bothering me if I went back over it again from the beginning. I hadn't wanted to before this. I'd fought against even thinking about it. But now, now it was as if something was making me think about it. That's right, John. Start way back in the beginning. Then maybe you will remember. You've got to. You've got to. When was the beginning? When they assigned me here, I guess, miles from anywhere on the Jersey coast. I knew it was some kind of hush-hush project, and I'd been in the Army long enough not to ask questions. I had some ideas, though, and when I walked into administration and found Professor Martell there, I was pretty sure they were right. 
Lieutenant Larkin reporting for duty, sir. Hello, John. How are you? Fine, Professor. Uh, I mean, Major. Well, let's forget the Major. <laughs> I've been trying to. <laughs> I think the Army's a little sorry about the whole thing also. Well, that's not the way I heard it. Some of the things you've worked out in the last few years was something. Quite a break my getting assigned here. <laughs> you think it was an accident? You, you mean you requested me? Of course. What did I take you away from, by the way? Oh, nothing very much. Straight communications, a little radar. Mm. No chance to continue any of the research you started when you were at the university, huh? No. Afraid I've gotten rusty? Not really. But there are just going to be the three of us to do the bulk of the work. You, myself, and a chap named Roy Shields. He worked with Ramsey at Tech. And what's the project? Something big? I think so. We're going to try and establish radio contact with the moon. What? Theoretically, it shouldn't be too difficult, you know. Of course. It... And with the progress we've made during the war... We... Oh, Professor, it's terrific. One of the most exciting things I've ever heard of. <laughs> think so? Well, don't you? Don't you remember when we used to talk about it in the lab? What it would mean to the astronomers, the astrophysicists, measurements that they've never even <laughs> been able to take before? Yes, John, I remember. Well, then? I don't know. Somehow it... Well, it worries me. How we're going to do it? No, that's all cut and dried. What's going to happen when we do do it? What do you mean? We're reaching out, John. Reaching out into places where man has never been before. We're pretty close to the secret of matter, to the origin of life, and to the mystery of the universe. Sometimes, sometimes I become a little afraid. Afraid that we may stumble on something that's too much for us, too big and... That's silly. Go pick out a bunk and get some rest, John. Tomorrow, we go to work. The work? I remember that all right, weeks of it. And finally, the big night, the night we were ready for our first test. It was clear and cool, the ocean still, not thundering but whispering at the base of the cliffs, as if it were waiting. Every star separate and distinct, like signposts on the road to the infinite. Martell at the table in the center of the laboratory with the charts and diagrams doing the computing. Roy at the power controls, and I at the director. Time, 2302. 15 seconds. Power, 10.12. Check. You're reading, John. 93 degrees. Negative plus point two. Check. Time, 2302, 10. Power on. Three seconds. Four. Now. How long to wait? We should get it almost immediately. Lag of not more than... There! Listen! Huh? That's it! That's it! We've done it! We're in contact with the moon! Yes, we've done it. Reached out into space and done it. For the first time since man had walked erect, we had established contact with another heavenly body. Bridged the infinite with man-made electrical impulses. There was no work done during the next two days, just excitement. Public relations broke the story the next morning and we were swamped. Newspaper reporters, photographers, interviews, commentaries, prophecies. Finally, we got back to normal. And a couple of nights later... Yes. It's starting to come back to me now. I remember. I remember. It was the sound of the generators that woke me. I looked at my watch, almost midnight... Roy was asleep in his bunk, and I didn't wake him. I padded out along the duckboards to the laboratory. The lights were on. I went in. 
And there was Professor Martell. He was sitting at the control table, and he was... Well, he was funny. His eyes were open, but he didn't seem to see me. I said, Hello, Professor. He didn't move. He didn't answer. I took a quick look at the control board, and the frequency had been changed. A little uneasy, I, I tried again. Professor, what are you doing? And then... Then something very strange happened. Half of him came alive. His right side first. His right eye lighting up. While his left eye stayed dead. His right hand twitched. While his left one remained stiff. It was just for a fraction of a second. Then... What? Oh. Hello, John. Hello, Professor. Anything the matter? What am I doing here? I don't know, sir. I heard the generators go on. I came in and found you here. Strange. Very strange. I went to bed about 10.30. Ever walked in your sleep before? No, not that I know of. Because I haven't been sleeping too well lately. Very disturbing dream. Did you change the transmitter frequency that way? Uh, no, sir. You must have done it yourself in your sleep. That would make it more of a carrier instead of a transmitter wave. Uh, shall I shift it back? No, leave it. I'd like to take a look again in the morning. Do some thinking about it. The next morning, somehow, neither of us mentioned it. I could be sure now whether we didn't remember or just didn't think it was important. But that night... Yes. Yes, it was that night that we discovered what it meant... That we knew. It was the sound of the generators that woke me again. I looked at my watch a few minutes before midnight. And it was then that I noticed that Roy wasn't in his bunk. I lay there. And for some reason I was terrified, trembling. There was something in the air, a feeling of a feeling of menace that I made myself get up. Slipped on a pair of sneakers and went out along the duck walk to the laboratory. The lights were on again. I didn't go in this time, but. But I looked in the window. There was Roy. And there was Professor Martell again. He was sitting at the control table with that... That same dead look on his face. And Roy was standing in front of him, talking to him. I could hear him through the window. What is it, sir? What's going on? Is anything the matter? Sleep. Walking in his sleep. I better get Larkin and... I can't leave the generator on, though. Gotta shut that off first. He turned and started to walk across the room toward the master switch. And as he turned, Martell moved. His face stayed dead, expressionless, but he moved. He got up without a sound, took a heavy wrench from the work table, and followed Roy. And then, just as Roy put out his hand to throw the switch, he hit him. I heard his skull go like the shell of a rotten pumpkin, and he went down, dead. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't make a sound. I just stood there, frozen with horror. Martell looked down at him without batting an eye. And then, like a zombie, he walked over to the bench, picked up a hacksaw and went back. And then, bending over Roy's body, he started cutting off the top of his head. A voice from the void. And the midnight waking. Memories. Things best forgotten. Coming back again. 
memories of the terror that came out of space and of murder at midnight. <laughs> Midnight and terror out of space. That was, that's all I remember then. When Professor Martell bent over Roy's body with a hacksaw in his hand, I must have fainted. When I opened my eyes, I was lying on the sand outside the shack, and there was Martell bending over me. No, Professor, no, no, don't, Why, don't, John. What's the matter? Leave me alone. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. I saw what you did in there. In where? Where? Just now in the shack to Roy. Aren't you well either, John? What? What do you mean? I just came up here from the cottage. I had a bad dream. I've been having quite a few of them lately, and I woke up with a very annoying headache. I came out to take a walk. It's a mare. I found you lying but, there. But I, I'm telling you, I saw you. I saw you in there with Roy and... And what? Well, I don't even want to think about it. But you killed him. Killed him? Huh. Let's go back to the bunkhouse, John. Take a look. The bunkhouse? Yes, when you see that Roy is where we should be in bed, maybe it'll convince you that you either dreamed or imagined the whole thing. He led the way to the bunkhouse, and I followed. Still shaken, but starting to feel a little foolish. This was the Professor Martell I had studied under, known for years, the man who wouldn't hurt a fly. We went into the bunkhouse, and Roy's bed was empty. He wasn't there. Martell gave me a funny look and started calling. Roy! Roy, where are you? Roy! Without a word, we hurried back to the laboratory, and there was no sign of him there either. Nothing. Wait, he, he must have gone out for a walk too, Professor, or maybe jeeped into town. If it was true, there'd be something here. His body, blood there, John. Well, right there, in front of the switch. But there's nothing there. No. Except that it looks as if this floor was just scrubbed. The floor? What? You're right. John. Huh? Did you change the transmitter frequency this way? But no, sir. You must have done it. Just the way you did last night. Last night? You mean something happened last night, too? You don't remember? No. Tell me what you saw happen tonight. Everything you remember, whether you believe it now or not. Well, it was... It was pretty terrible, Professor. And then, as quietly as, as if he were a laboratory specimen, you took a hacksaw and started to cut off the top of his head. Mercy. Yes. Talking to you now, I know the whole thing's mad, impossible, but... Yes, mad, impossible, <laughs> but... You mean it could have happened some way without your knowing it? Sit down, John. Relax. Tell me what you know about the moon. Uh, the moon is a satellite, stellar body, probably formed by our sun in an encounter with some other stellar body. Yes, yes, probably formed at the same time as the Earth. But it may very well have supported life long before there was life here. Life? 
But we know what its atmosphere yes, is. Yes, what it is now. But how do we know what it was a million, several million years ago? Suppose, just suppose, that there was life there millions of years ago. Life that reached a level of development we cannot even imagine. Suppose it died out as a form of life that we could recognize, but remained in a form that is eternal. What? What do you mean? In the form of electrical energy. We know that thought is an electrical process. An electrocephalograph will give a definite reading when a man is thinking. Yes. Suppose intelligences continue to exist on the moon in the form of complex electric charges. And suppose a channel is suddenly opened between the moon and some other planet. The beams we sent out are radar beams. You mean they they could come down down the beam, take hold of someone, you, and make you... I'm supposing, John, hypothesizing. But the fact is that the transmitter was set at carrier frequency, and none of us did it consciously. Of course, even if it's true, we have no way of knowing whether these entities are dangerous, malevolent or not. No way of knowing, but, but they killed. They made you kill. Made you kill Roy. Because he was going to shut off the transmitter, cut off contact with the place they came from. As for the rest, well, they would be intensely curious about the human body, particularly the brain. They would want to examine it. And a... Good Lord, Professor, do you realize what you're saying? The taking over of a person's body? Yes, John, I do realize what I'm saying. Well, I don't believe it myself. Have you a gun? Uh, why, why, yes. Yes, I never carry it. Well, start carrying it. And if you notice me doing anything strange, incomprehensible, don't hesitate. Shoot. I didn't sleep that night. I remember that now. And I was convinced that I would never sleep again. Because it was there then, the moon. It was there all the time, of course, day and night. But it was during the night when I was asleep that it would be easiest for them, that they might try and... and... <laughs> no, I can't think about it. I won't, even now. With the daylight, I felt a little better. Roy hadn't come back, but, well, there were a dozen possible explanations for that. I went to have another talk with Professor Martell... And he was gone, too. His bed was empty, as if it had never been slept in. I waited until about noon. Then I called headquarters. I had decided that I was going to tell them only facts, things I could believe myself. Hello? Hello, Colonel. This is Larkin over at Radar Experimental. Oh, yes, Larkin. How are you? Uh, pretty good, sir. Uh, I'd like to report that both Sergeant Shields and Major Martell are missing. Huh? Missing? What do you mean? I don't know, sir. They were both gone when I got up this morning. Oh, no, sir, I, I couldn't. Not right now. Okay. Then you carry on until they get back, and then I'll arrange for you to do it uh, officially. So I stayed. Stayed there in the lonely shack on top of the cliff, alone. And that was the most awful, terrible week of my life. Only the wind, the pounding of the surf, and my fears. Fears that were with me constantly. There was work I had to do, but... I had to force myself to go into the laboratory. Then, on Friday, they found Roy's body. A phone call took me to town to the local funeral parlor. When I got there, the colonel was waiting. Um, you knew Sergeant Shields pretty well, didn't you, Larkin? Yes, sir. Uh, some fishermen found a body in their nets this morning. I uh, wish you'd look at it. Of course, sir. Uh, right here. Oh, 
Good Lord. Evidently, the fish were pretty hungry. Well, no one could be sure, sir, but I think that is Shields. All right, Larkin. Thank you. Yes, they found Roy's body. And that night, Martell came back. I'd taken something to make me sleep. It was the only way I could sleep. But the sound of the generators woke me again. I lay there listening, unbelieving but terrified because there was no one at the station but me. Then, picking up my gun, I went down the duck walk to the laboratory. I opened the door, and there he was, Professor Martell. His face was thin, haggard. His eyes were dead, lackluster, the way they'd been those other two nights. And when he spoke, his voice was hardly human, as if someone was using him, speaking through him. Too bad that you woke up, Larkin. You should not have come in here. What do you mean, Professor? Where have you been? We have been looking over your planet, studying it. Very interesting. And now we are ready to go. Go? Go where? What are you talking about? What? What? Are you... you... You said we. Professor Martell, have, have they... Just a few preparations to make. And then... Then... The voice, that horrible voice stopped. And Martell swayed as if he were going to fall. Uh, I grabbed him. And he opened his eyes. He was himself again. And when he spoke, it was with his own voice. John. John, for heaven's sake, help me. Help me. How, Professor, how? Your gun. What I told you, don't you remember? Don't you understand? They've got me. They took me that night. Took me all over the country. Looking, examining, studying. They bit my brain. They sucked me dry. And now... Now they're going to take me back with them. Back with them? Back to where they came from. Not my body, they're not interested in that. But the essential me, the... The... It has game. Shoot, John. Shoot and... And now we are ready. They had him again. As your friend told you, we are taking him with us. But you... You will not remember. You will remember nothing. Do you understand? Because someday... We may come back. I stood there, frozen, still holding on to Martell. Like a sleepwalker with superhuman strength, he pushed me away. I staggered back against the wall. Stiffly and mechanically, he walked to the door, opened it, and went out. The surf was thundering, the wind blowing straight to the edge of the cliff he walked, and then went over. But before he fell... He seemed almost to hover for a moment, as if something in him was going not down, but up. Now do you remember, John? Now do you remember? You've got to remember. You've got to. I tricked them, fooled them. That's how I was able to get through to you. But they'll be coming for me any minute. John, you've got to do something. You've got to. It's true. They do exist. And they've got me here. When I woke up about a half hour ago, I found this all written out on the pad I keep next to my bed. Written out in my own handwriting, but a little scrawled and jerky as if my hand wasn't quite steady. Some of it I remember. Other parts, like Roy's murder... Professor Martell's suicide, I don't recall at all. 
either I'm mad, completely mad, or... No, no, I can't think about it. I mustn't. Anyway, if I showed this to anyone, the world would think I'm mad. So now I'm going to burn it. Burn it up completely. White and shaking, John Larkin tears the scrawled pages from his notebook, crumples them into an ashtray, and puts a match to them. Thus there disappears into ashes the only remaining evidence of the terror from out of space and of murder at midnight. some unknown form. And the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of John Larkin was played by George Petrie and Peter Capel was Professor Martell. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader. presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Tonight, Suspense brings you a repeat performance of one of the most controversial plays ever presented over your radio. It is called Zero Hour by Ray Bradbury. After the initial performance, a great number of letters were received. Some comments were highly complimentary, and an almost equal number were not. However, because so many of you did write asking to hear this provocative work of fiction again, we present it, and hope that those of you who have not heard it before will write us your opinion. So now, starring Miss Isa Ashdown, here is tonight's suspense play, Zero Hour. What a game. Such excitement they hadn't known in years. Mink talked earnestly to someone near the rose bush, though no one was there. Then the two little girls, shouting, laughing at each other. Such fun. Such tremulous joy. Mink ran into the house all dirt and sweat. For her few years, she was loud and strong and definite. 
And her mother, Mrs. Morris, peeling vegetables at the sink, watched with amusement as her daughter threw into a sack old pots and tools and things which were relegated to child play. Oh, my goodness, Mink, what's going on? Oh, the most exciting game ever, just ever. Oh? It's all right, I take these things, Mom. Well, just don't dent them and it's all right. Thanks, Mom, we won't. Bye. All right, dear. Oh, what's the name of the game, dear? Invasion. Invasion? Invasion. And in the garden now, a serious concentration. Mink with an assortment of pots, pans and wrenches, forks, spoons. And her friend Anna, a little younger, tongue in teeth, taking notes on a pad. This, this, and this. What's it say next? Wait a minute, Mink. Well, hurry up. Four, nine, seven, A and B and X. Four, nine, seven, A and B and X. A fork and a string and a hex, hex, hexagonal. A fork and a string and a, a hexagonal. What do we do next, Mr. Drill? And then Mink talking to the rosebush again. And to her own satisfaction, at least, receiving some kind of answer which she relayed to Anna. Triangle. How do you spell it? Oh, any old way. Doesn't matter. Now write beam. I haven't got triangle yet. Well, hurry. Zero hours by five o'clock. We haven't got all day. Then time out from invasion for lunch. Mink bolted down the soup and coincidentally crammed a sandwich into her mouth. Now you slow down, Mink. Whatever's waiting will wait a few minutes longer. But I can't. Drill's waiting for me. Drill? Well, that's a peculiar name. Is he a new boy in the neighborhood, dear? He's new, all right. Well, I don't think I've ever seen him. Which one is Drill? Oh, he's just around. You'll make fun. Everybody makes fun. All the kids do. Well, I don't think that's very nice. Is Drill shy? Well, yes, in a way. I don't know. I gotta go now, Mama, if we're gonna have the invasion. Now, you finish your milk, miss. Who's invading what? Martians invading Earth from up there. Oh, I see. And, um, Drill's a, a Martian? I think so. He's had a very hard time getting here. I should imagine. They couldn't figure out a way to attack Earth. How to get in or something. And Drill says they have to do it by surprise. And even get help from your enemy. Oh, a fifth column, huh? Uh-huh. And all this time, they haven't been able to figure out how to attack until one day they thought of children. Well, that was bright of them. And they thought of how grown-ups are so busy, they never look under rose bushes or on lawns. Oh, that's where Drill is now, uh, under the rose bush? Uh-huh, with all his friends, too. And there's something about kids under 11 with imagination. It's real funny to hear Drill talk. Well, it must be. You better run along out if you want to have your invasion before dark. Oh, and bath tonight. School tomorrow, you know. Drill says I won't have to take any more baths. Oh, he does, does he? And we can stay up till 10 o'clock. Well, your friend Mr. Drill had better mind his P's and Q's or I'm going to call up his mother. That's just it. Drill says you're dangerous because you don't believe in Martians. Just like you think Drill's a kid. Well, he's not. And they're going to let us run the world when they get in. All of us kids. And I might even be queen. Well, that's nice, dear. Now run along. Mom. What is it, dear? Mom, when the invasion comes, we'll have to get rid of you and Daddy. 
But I'll be sure it won't hurt very much. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Hello. Hello, Mary. How are things in New York? Oh, Helen, how nice. Are you in town? Oh, no, I'm in Danbury. I was just thinking of you and thought I'd call. Oh, it's long distance, though. You shouldn't. Oh, I can afford three minutes. How's Henry? Fine. And Bill? Oh, just fine. What about Mink? Oh, wonderful. Noisier than ever. Oh, she's got a, a new game now. It's taken the place of hopscotch. Invasion. Is she playing that, too? Well, yes, are yours? Same thing. Some kind of geometric jacks, I suppose. Isn't it a scream? You know, all the kids their age are playing it up here. Timmy's got a crush on some guy named Drill, I think that's what it is. Oh, it, it must be a new password. Mink likes him, too. Oh, I didn't know it got to New York. Word of mouth, I suppose. You know, kids. Funny thing, I got a letter from my sister in Boston. She says her kids are playing it, too. It's just sweeping the country. Well, I... I wonder where they learned it. Don't ask me. All I know is what Timmy told me at lunch. Zero hours at five o'clock. When? Today. That's when the invasion's going to be. Oh, these kids and their imagination. And they talked a little more. Schoolgirl friends. Casual woman talk. But Mrs. Morris was thoughtful. She was thinking of other things, of adults, of children with imagination, rose bushes, dimensions. She thought of how much she had forgotten about being a child, and she wondered about Mink and all the kids who were at that moment playing invasion. I will, and to Bill and the kids. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. An hour drowsed by. It was three o'clock. There was an occasional hum inside the coolness of the house as a car passed outside. The street was lined with good, green, and peaceful trees. And all across the city, in other gardens, in other places, children under eleven were excitedly playing a game, talking to rose bushes and grass lawns, trees, and shrubs. Even children in apartment houses, high in the air, conferring with potted plants, cactus, and ivy. Mrs. Morris finished her housework and went to the kitchen. Oh, hello, dear. Hi, Mom. Can I have a glass of water? Of course, I'll get it. Pi R squared, 27, A over 56 to the 7th degree, X, T, 7. What, dear? Oh, nothing, Mom. Oh, here you are. Thanks. How are things going? The, uh, invasion. Oh, that. Yes, that. Almost finished. When everything's right, Grill said we should be ready on time. Five o'clock? That's right. How'd you know? Helen called me from Danbury. She says that, uh, Timmy's playing it, too. Hey, that's keen. I guess all the kids are, aren't they? No, not all of them. Not guys like Jimmy Wood and Bob Wilson. They're growing up and they make fun of us. They're worse than parents. They just won't believe in drill. They're so smart just because they're growing up. You'd think they'd know better. They were little only a couple years ago. 
Well, we'll get rid of them first. Drill says it's okay to kill them first. Amanda, I don't like that kind of talk. Do you hear me? I don't like it at all. Oh, now, Ma. I mean it. You keep on that way and there'll be no more playing. You'll have to tell Anna to go home and you'll stay inside until bedtime. I'm sorry. Well, I should think so. Thanks for the water, Mom. Uh, Mink. Yes, Ma? What did those, uh, those numbers mean? What numbers? Those numbers you were saying to yourself before. Oh, that. They're the things we have to do to get Drill and his friends out. That's all. Uh, look, dear. Why don't you and Anna go down to the drugstore and get some ice cream? You don't even have to use your allowance. I'll pay for it. Haven't got time, Mom. Thanks. Well, I, I'd never believe I'd hear you say that. I gotta go now, Mom. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Mink, I, I want you to tell me the truth. What is this invasion silliness? It isn't silly. It's just a game. That's all. Mom, we're just playing an invasion. Excuse me, I gotta get back now. I'll see you later. It was a game called Invasion. Mrs. Morris's little girl, Mink, was playing it. So was Mink's friend, Anna, and all the other children under 11. It was called Invasion, and the zero hour was to be at 5 o'clock. Mrs. Morris was disturbed. She wasn't sure why. But there was something... Something about parents shutting ears and eyes to what was happening. And because she was disturbed, she did something she didn't usually do. She called her husband at the office. Hello, dear. Oh, hello, Henry. I'm sorry to bother you, but Miss Maxson said you weren't busy. Oh, not too. I should be able to get home early today. Everything all right? Yes. You all right? I I'm fine. Mink? Oh, she's... Henry. What? Oh, nothing. I, I just wanted to talk to you for a minute. That's all. <laughs> Listen, are you sure you're all right? Oh, yes. Mink been getting on your nerves? Not really. Well, you tell her to behave, or when I come home, she and I are going to have a talk. As a matter of fact, she's been a little fresh lately, and I don't think it's good. Well, she's playing outside. She's fine. Honey, is something wrong? Why, no, I, I told you I, I was just thinking about you and wanted to talk, that's all. Nothing wrong with that. Not a thing. You go back to your work, dear. I'll see you soon. All right. What time do you think you'll be home? Five, maybe a little earlier. Five. Oh. Hey, what? Come on, what? Well, I... I was just thinking. Nothing, really. Just Mink and you and me. <sighs> Goodbye, dear. You are okay, aren't you? Yes, I'm fine. Goodbye. And it was half past four. The day began to wane. The sun lowered in the peaceful blue sky. Shadows lengthened on the green lawn. Outside it was quiet. The two little girls more intent than ever upon their endless movement of design and pattern with the implements before them. Mrs. Morris watched from the window. And she had never known Mink to have such powers of concentration. She had turned on the radio and sat drinking a cup of coffee and turned over her thoughts. Children, 
children. Children love and hate side by side. Sometimes children love you, hate you all in half a second. Strange children. Do they ever forget or forgive the whippings and the harsh, strict words of command? I wonder. I wonder. How can you forget or forgive those over and above you? Those tall, silly dictators. Those parents. Mom! Oh, what is it, dear? Well, I, I don't know. They might be in the garage. What do you want them for? We just need them. Well, if you tell me what for, dear, maybe I, I can... Strength, Is something wrong? Drill's stuck halfway. If we could get them all the way through, it'd be easier. Then all the others could come through after him. But can I help? Thanks, Mom. I can fix it. You better get through, Mink. I want you to take your bath before your father comes home. All right. Now, he's coming home early. And Mink... Mink! Mink had disappeared behind the shrubs, and Mrs. Morris knew it was ridiculous to make an issue of it. Besides, what was the issue? Invasion? Drill? Zero hour? Unaccountably, a cool breeze came up, and although normally for that time of year it would have been a relief, Mrs. Morris felt a chill. She closed the window. Time passed. A curious, waiting silence came upon the street, deepening. Then from the living room, Mrs. Morris heard... Five o'clock. Zero hour. Zero hour. It had come. And now it had gone... But was the clock right? And Mrs. Morris, knowing how foolish it was, knowing it, went to the phone and dialed. Oh, silly. It's, it's silly. The time will be exactly 4.54 and 20 seconds. Four fifty-four and 20 seconds. And Mrs. Morris knew that it wasn't as silly as she had thought, because it wasn't five o'clock yet. Not zero hour yet. Then the car drove up into the driveway. Mrs. Morris heard him chuckle. Then he stepped up the walk to the front door. Mary? I'm... I'm in the living room, dear. Oh, hi. Our daughter didn't have time for a kiss. How about you? <sighs> a hard day? No, not particularly. 
Would you like a cocktail? No, you read my mind. Martini? Perfect. Anything exciting happen today? No. Oh, Helen called. Oh. From Danbury. I I told her she was crazy, but she just felt like calling. Like you calling me this afternoon crazy, huh? Hey, what was that all about? Well, I told you. I, I just wanted to. Mm. Hey, incidentally, what's this new game the kids are playing? Invasion. That's a nice depressing thought. Is, is she all right? Come to think of it, she looked kind of funny. She's all right. What's the time, Henry? A couple of minutes after five. Why? No, no, the clock's wrong. By your watch. Hmm? Oh, I've got two minutes, too. I'm probably slow. You got something on the stove? No, I... I just wondered. Honey. Hey. Look at me. What's the matter? Nothing, really. Now, no, really. Mink's been up to something. No, of course then not. What? I, I guess I'm a little tired, upset, that's all. You want to go out for dinner? Oh, no, I, I've got a steak here. I'll tell you what, I'll barbecue it. How'll that be? Oh, fine. What, what was that? What? Well, I, I thought I heard something. Well, I didn't. I, I must have been imagining it. Hey, you are jumpy. Why don't you have a drink? It'll do you good. No, I don't want one. What's the time? Mary, what is this? Now, I mean it. Something's wrong, and I want to know. Oh, it's silly. It, it's so silly. I, I'm on edge, that's all. Mary. I am. I don't like this. That kid's done something, hasn't she? I'm going to get her in. No, no, Henry. Please, don't. She, she hasn't. It, it's nothing at all. I just... What's that? I, I don't know. Those kids haven't got anything dangerous out there, have they? I noticed a lot of junk lying around. I thought it was a game. She wouldn't have done it herself. They made her do it. What the devil? Well, maybe you better go out and tell them to stop playing now. It's after five. You tell me to put off the invasion until tomorrow. Tell her. It is coming from outside. What are they up to? I'd better take a look. Mink! Mink! Good <laughs> Upstairs. I know it is. In the attic. That's where it is. Mary. Mary, it is not up there. Mary! He ran after her, confused, not a little frightened. She seemed to know something. In the attic. That's where it is. Her mind had worked that quickly. Any excuse to get him away from the outside, to get him upstairs to the attic in time. And outside, there were more explosions, and they could hear the children screaming with delight. It is not in the attic, it's outside. Minx out there, what's the matter with you? No, no, I'll show you. Hurry! Get inside, quick. Now we're safe until tonight. Are you crazy? Why did you throw that key away? Oh, maybe we can sneak out later. Maybe we can escape. For heaven's sake, the kid's out there. Do you want her to get killed? Oh, you don't know. You don't. We've got to stay here. We've got to. It's horrible. We've got to. You've got to stay here with At me. At this point, I don't know how the devil I can get out. Where's no. that light? Oh, be quiet. Please be quiet. They'll hear us. They'll find us. Oh, Henry, please. Well, who's going to answer the telephone? There's that noise again. Oh. It's in this house. Mary, what is this? Mary, what's happening? You know, now answer me. Stop it, Mary, stop it. Somebody's downstairs. Who's down there? Who? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, hush. Please, please be quiet. They might go away. Please, please. Please. 
between his wife's terror and the electric humming from below, Mr. Morris felt a great fear. They trembled together in silence in the attic. Mr. and Mrs. Morris, parents of the little girl. Then they heard steps coming up the stairs. And a voice. And the queer, cold light became visible under the door crack. The strange odor and the alien sound of eagerness in Mink's voice was almost more than they could bear. Each wanted to scream. Mommy! Daddy! And another sound. And the attic lock melted. Mink. Mink, with bright little eyes and tousled hair, peered inside. And behind her, tall, wavering blue shadows. Frightful shadows. Suspense, in which Miss Isa Ashdown starred in tonight's presentation of Zero Hour. Next week, Suspense will bring you the story of a bomb and the man who carried it to its ultimate destination. We call it The Lunch Kit. Be sure to listen to Lunch Kit next week on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Ray Bradbury and adapted by Mr. Ellis. The music was composed by Leith Stevens and Lucian Morowick and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Paula Winslow, Eve McVeigh, John Daner, and Beverly Handley. Sound patterns were by Bill James and Ray Kemper. This is the CBS Radio Network. for this morning the visitors from another planet if you like the show please comment and subscribe join me later on tonight guys as I bring to the show Mr. Red Skeleton and join me later on tonight as I bring to the show George Edwards and Frankenstein and if you like the show, please comment and subscribe, guys. And always remember to enjoy the show. Have a great day, you guys. Thanks. <laughs>